Ladies and gents, this is the moment you waited for. Yes, indeed, it is the moment you've waited for. It is Films on Trial presents The Greatest Showman. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And just like The Greatest Showman, the impossible comes true. <laughs> You're really quick on the. Uh, you, you knew on that the wasn't going to work. Yeah. yeah, I knew it wasn't going to land, so be it to it. Anybody got an alternative tagline for us? Uh, just like Greatest Showman, Hugh Jackman's going to find this harder than Logan. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Great stuff. If you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. However, there'll be a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans, including a caption contest, a quiz, some terrible xylophone playing, a bad impression or two, and lots of banter. But before we move on, just to say that this is going to be a very spoilerific episode. So if you haven't seen The Greatest Showman, then I would advise that you fast forward to our quiz at the end or come back to it at a later date. So before we kickstart things with a bit of news, I was the judge last week when we put Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon on trial. I decided that after a valiant effort from Alex defending it, that it should be placed on the hit list. I have since actually gone back and watched it. And have I made the right call or not? I think I did. Uh, so my my main concern with it was it was just a little bit long, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't feel bored at any points, to be honest. And I, I, I hate to say I did actually like the... Um, what, the high wire stuff. High stuff. stuff. Like yeah, I mean, oh, but when it kind of just kind of came out of nowhere, and it did feel a bit like, oh, hello, okay, now they're doing all this this Weird mad shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, as, as a visual, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. To be honest, magical. So, so yeah, I do think I put Broken it on the right ship. list. So, so, sorry about that, Joel. <laughs> anyway, before we get onto the bulk of the show, I think it's time for a little bit of news. Nice. No, I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I panicked for a minute. You got it. You got I it. I did get it, didn't I? Yeah. I, I thought. That I think mo- it works best when there's only three or four notes. To be honest, any more than that, and you start to you start to sweat. Panic. How dare you? <laughs> you know what? Next week you're doing the xylophone, mate. Easy. <laughs> okay. So what we do here is we go around in a circle and we talk about the most newsworthy topics of the week. So without further hesitation, Alex, over to you. So my piece of news is about that Indiana Jones will not be riding back into theatres uh, in 2020. I actually didn't know he was even considering it after Kingdom of, the Crystal Skull, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I was quite glad that he'd never be riding ever again. But apparently it was going to be made and it's now being kicked back to 2021. Um, apparently there's just problems with the script. Steven Spielberg's got a huge host of different things he's sort of working on at the moment. Um is anyone, how are, are people feeling disappointed that Indiana Jones won't be back? Were, was anyone really looking forward to him coming back? I'm a little disappointed that it is coming back. Right, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure, not so bothered about the yeah, delay. Yeah. I mean, 2021, you say? Yes. So another three years. So yes. Harrison Ford will be 79. I know. I don't know how he's going to be. I, I, he, he was barely in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, so I really don't know how he's going to be in this. Maybe it'll be like a sort of passing the torch, so maybe they'll have a much younger actor. to move. Well, to the a beef. better choice. <laughs> to, to sh- sh- shave the beef. Um, Maybe you'll have had like a, um, a really good student. 
maybe yeah. well a protege yeah well there's been rumors for a while that they were trying to groom chris pratt for the role of the new indiana jones it's an odd choice of it's an odd verb to use yeah get in the van chris <laughs> <laughs> new indiana jones <laughs> i don't want to be oh, okay so so they were well eyeing up chris pratt as as you know taking the the whip and hat off him uh, uh, that's not an inspired choice i mean i'm not saying it'd be bad but I don't know. I feel like it needs to be someone fresh and new. Also, to be honest, I think they just need to make a fresh and new Indiana Jones character that isn't isn't Indiana Jones. I beg to differ. I think they've got gold on their place already. John Reese Davies. <laughs> <laughs> He's already in the franchise. He's Why not in the use franchise. him? He's been in two of them. You know, he, he said he wouldn't do Chris King with the Crystal Skull because one, he didn't like the script, and two, his part wasn't big enough. Give him a bigger part. Pass the torch yeah, to John Reese Davies. It's, it's a bit of a lateral move, but I like it. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to see that, though? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for that, Alex. Hey, Joel, your piece of news of the week. So apparently, Enter the Dragon has bagged the Deadpool two director David Leach. Doesn't say for sure that he's actually got it. Just it just says that he's signed up for the project. Uh, it says it's early days, and of course, he is actually directing the Fast and the Furious spinoff. Uh, with Hobson Shaw. So, <laughs> Why are you uh, laughing? <laughs> so, you know, depending on how that goes, uh, well, it's a very tough one to remake, isn't it? Whoever plays Bruce Lee has got to have some big balls, hasn't he? Let's be fair. Mm. So, um, yeah. Literally I, and metaphorically. Yeah, as well. I, I don't think I'd want to be that guy, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. talking about remakes, I mean, it's one of the most iconic martial arts films of all time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's, they're going to be very, very big shoes to fill. And, and I mean, this this might be me being ignorant, but is there anybody that anybody can think of now that would fill that role that would do a I good job doing that? Think of anyone. I don't think I've seen anybody recently who does similar martial arts to to Bruce Lee. Everyone has this kind of uh, more aggressive kind of fighting style now. It's kind of like CGI'd and they use stunt doubles to seamlessly put it in, but it's not like people actually are really good fighters in real life and yeah. then they're putting these films well, is well there's a few of them in in asian cinema you know you think of someone like tony jari's like a martial arts mm. expert isn't he but yeah. i know what you're saying but and yeah at the same time bruce lee was very unique wasn't he and i just don't think anyone's got that physique or like prowess persona persona as well isn't he? you know he had a big yeah. western persona yeah yeah do you, do you think it's one of those films that probably just shouldn't be remade yeah more than likely i'm with joel just make it just make a martial arts film if you want to make a film do you know what i mean you don't have to remake enter the dragon do you look look at the the raids i mean i was going to suggest that the what what, i can't remember his name now eco um and anyway that was going to suggest the lead character from um, the raid but that was a great martial arts film that was completely original and it wasn't remaking anything just make it can't be impossible to make an original martial arts film these days right there's yeah. got to be ideas out there that people are Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon. We found that yeah, out last it was week. A great one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Joel. Salt's getting rubbed into those rooms so. there. No, okay, well, thank you very much for that, Joel. And uh, Captain Dave, your piece of news of the week? Uh, yeah, I just got, I got a quick one here. It's still, um, the details are not yet confirmed, but it would appear that Robert De Niro is in talks to join the new Joker movie. That's the one that Joaquin Phoenix is going to be a part of. So it's, uh, yeah, he's in talks. All that we know at this point is that he won't be playing a villain. Hmm which is oh. interesting and disappointing. I think you'll all agree. But uh, yeah, so De Niro could be coming on board. I, I haven't rated De Niro in a very long time. I don't I don't remember seeing him. I'm not saying he wasn't a great actor. He likes to do rom-coms and stuff now, doesn't he? You know, I, I don't remember the last film I saw Robert De Niro in. Even like Joy, which was a fairly serious role in like Silverland's playbook. I don't remember seeing a role where I thought, 
Damn, he was really good in that. He kind of just plays Robert De Niro doing his like mm, yeah. annoyed dad. You know, he hasn't been good in a while. That, I think that's, that's sacrilege. That's, but you that's know. Hollywood. Once you get to a certain age, yeah. it's just like oh, stop giving them certain parts. We'll just maybe it's a comedy play dad. Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Him and John Reese Davis. I, I did read somewhere that Francis Conroy was supposed to be in talks as well to join the cast, and then people were speculating: Are these going to be the Joker's parents, Robert De Niro and Francis Conroy? Do we need to see his I, I mean, the whole thing to me just seems a bit odd because isn't the whole essence of the Joker is he's a mystery, isn't exactly. he? Just came yeah. from nowhere. Don't so. explain his background. Yeah, we don't need. Do we need a backstory definitely. for him? I mean, you, we definitely do not need a backstory. I would no. say we really should not explore that. Backstory. I'd say we do not want an origin story either. No. We don't want to know. But, Stop um, it. <laughs> I, I did hear that they were taking great inspiration from Taxi Driver and Martin Scorsese attached as a producer. So. Um, I I do I really rate Joaquin Phoenix, so I think he'd be a really good Joker. I think he I I really do like him as an actor. So as long as he doesn't go to uh, Jared Leto for tips, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and start sending people use condoms yeah, and stuff in the mail. Just a tip off Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys. That was that was just brilliant. Uh, okay, so uh, over to you, Alex, for this week's film feel. Thank you, as always. So my film feel this week is, what's everyone, you were doing a great showman, what's everyone's favourite musical? Mm. Mm. Anyone got one off the top of that? The film adaptation or in general? Just in general. Let's just do a general musical. For me, it's a classic, but I like it. The Sound of Music. I just like it. Also, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I liked it as a kid. Oh my, okay. Thanks. (laughs) I I love musicals, to be honest. Um, uh, Film adaptation, maybe West Side Story. Yeah. Um, I, I also like Chicago as well. Do you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the actual musical, Jersey Boys, Hamilton, um, Book of Mormon. I haven't seen Hamilton yet. But Book of Mormon oh, was brilliant. Yes, yes. I love right. the Book of Mormon. It's hilarious. I, I mean, when they when, when they come to make a film of that, I, I can't I wait. Can't wait. I've seen it twice, and I, st- I laughed as much the second time <laughs> as the first. Yeah. In terms of um, yeah, cinema type things. So, um, like maybe for Christmas. And then, um, and more recently, I really, really enjoyed uh, Les Mis. Yes. Oh, that was a great film. Yeah, yeah. talking about yeah. great Hugh Jackman musicals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that There's was one, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Mine would probably be Hercules, if you can count that as a musical. Yeah, okay. I will. I will. The, one, the one with the rock in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, well, the Disney one. Oh. Disney one, yeah. yeah. It's a good one. What yeah. about, uh, speaking of the rock? Uh, Moana. Moana, yeah. That, Love was, it. Yeah, that, was, that, was, a that was a lot of fun. Uh, composed good, good by uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda as well, who did mm-hmm. the music for Hamilton. Okay. I think yeah. Blues Brothers deserves a shout-out. That's true. Well. We'll just name all the musicals. <laughs> <laughs> we're not really yeah. narrowing them down this is, this is, at all, This is going to be an hour and a half of us just after a while. <laughs> oh, going, oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, South yeah. Park, South Park, yeah. Uh, I knew there was another one. <laughs> oh, damn, greatest showman. I missed my chances. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, thank you very much for that, Alex. Uh, you're uh, uh, Just before we, we move off, um, Ozzy, can you smell that? We can all smell it. Oh, that was terrible. There it is again. It's nearly, wasn't it? It was higher octave as well, so uh, that that threw me off, honestly. (laughs) Ozzy, so so what's The Rock been cooking this week? I can't remember what you were talking about just five minutes ago, to be perfectly honest with you, and I forgot to type it into my... uh, I think it was the fact that they've uh, finished the casting for the Jungle Cruise Rocks film. I'm looking forward to that. We literally literally talked about this about five minutes ago. I wasn't listening to you in the slightest. I just heard Rock News. We've got some... 
and then I was happy. I feel the fact that Rock is doing yet another film is barely news these days. I know. He seems to be constantly. <laughs> well, it's it's hard because footage at so. the moment he's just started record, um, filming the sequel to um, Jumanji, hasn't he? Which wasn't even in the works, but because the first one did so well, they. Uh, pushed ahead a sequel they were like right we want to make even more money so that made him kind of reassess his schedule but at the same time he's recording this jungle cruise one for disney as well so how many franchises is he in at the moment he wants to be in all, all of them, them. <laughs> He's kind of like the modern day Arnie or something, yeah. isn't he? More, makes... I bet, but more than, you know, yeah. Arnie dreams he could have been in this many different <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's going to be in Fantastic Beasts, the third one, and he's, he? going to, he's going to be in the next Star Wars film. Yeah. Is he, is he, oh, is he really? Is he's, he's not at all. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's playing uh, Captain Kirk, Stunderball. Don't <laughs> even go there. Yeah. He's, he's playing an asteroid in the Star Trek film. <laughs> but anyway, well, thank, you, thank you very much for that, Ozzy. Um, I mean, you know, I, I suppose you, 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 you're helpful but uh, it doesn't matter anyway uh, so right, moving on thank you very much for that guys uh, if you've never heard the show before we take a film we put it on trial all the films are pulled out of the hat at random this week is the turn of the greatest showman and just like the films all of the roles are pulled out of the hat at random as well so in the role of defence and trying to get this film placed on the hit list is going to be our good friend Captain Dave in the role of prosecution trying to get the film placed on the shit list is going to be me in the role of character witnesses are going to be Alex and Joel <laughs> so probably not nothing nothing combat, insightful not, nothing insightful getting, getting added oh. there just the two of you are going to be laughing at <laughs> God of War anime pictures on your phone <laughs> <laughs> I'm already feeling Dave's argument here I know well done Dave well done. Thanks, and guys. in the most important role of the show we've got Austin who's be playing the judge his role is to be completely unbiased yeah. and to decide which film the, the which list the film should be placed on based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion so I think we should probably give the listeners a bit of an insight as to what the greatest showman is about and spin that wheel of impressions okay so it's landed on austin (laughs) brilliant and uh so basically you've just got to read out the synopsis of the greatest showman in a different accent or impression that we pick so because it's the greatest showman does anybody have any any thoughts well, just just in song I think. what about in song yeah what about in hugh jackman's singing voice austin okay well bear in mind i've not seen the film uh, but you've, see, but you've seen lame is <laughs> yeah well yeah okay i'm just gonna guess how he's gonna <laughs> sing this um let me find the um, it, it's a tricky one did you actually hand me i've got it here i've got it, it here is it that one starts with celebrate celebrate yeah, yeah. okay celebrates the birth of show business and tells how the visionary who rose from nothing to create a spectacle that became a worldwide sensation. Aussie. a hell of a lot better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I got into it at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> it really, really rose to a crescendo at the end. Yeah, yeah man. That's good, that. I was feeling my uh, Jean Valjean. <laughs> <laughs> little to the left is it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway without further hesitation austin would you like to kick off proceedings please uh, yes yeah, so it, like i always say guys i would like to have a very clean pleasant fight i know we don't often get that when gav's in in the uh, in the role but um <laughs> how dare you <laughs> i feel like i feel like today might be the day so with that in mind i'm gonna let you start gav 
Okay, right. So I would like to kickstart things with uh, talking about the characters because this is a character piece. I want to talk about the characters mainly. I want to talk about the character of P.T. Barnum. So all of the characters in this film are incredibly poorly written, which I find amazing when I think that they're based on real people. Talking about Barnum, this guy wasn't a particularly nice person in real life, uh, which I found astounding, to be honest, that they would decide to choose to make this all-singing, happy, clappy musical about him i just find it very odd that the producers and the director and jackman himself decided to kind of make this film about this person when they could have made it about the theater or the performers within the theater uh, he's painted out as this sympathetic character who pulled himself up from his bootstraps to become this enterprising self-made man he's supposedly a kind man who doesn't see race or disability and instead wants to create this inclusive diverse community and bring their talents to people's attentions but the fact of the matter is in real life that was not the case this man really exploited these poor people and made a profit for himself i mean i i I, i'm sorry but i'm going to mention a little bit about the character i know that pt barnum isn't on trial himself but i just think that it's very amiss that the producers chose to omit such key parts of his life out one is the the guy was had a shady history with racism, which is never really covered in the film. And I, I know I've spoken about racism in film before, and I probably ordinarily wouldn't pick this point out for the ma- fact of the matter is that they put in an interracial love storyline into the film that didn't actually exist in real life. So I feel like they tried to paint him as more of a um, sympathetic and tolerant man when in reality he wasn't. He did have a history of slavery. He bought a slave, which was legal at the time in North America, and he took her on tour as George washington's 160 year old nan uh forcing her to perform when she was even ill and then charging people to see her autopsy after she died it fails to mention uh, that he exhibited both the bearded lady and general tom thumb from when they were four without paying them a penny forcing them to perform at times you know there's 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 a lot of things uh, that i'm gonna go uh, i won't go into to be honest but the whole thing is is it's it's a massive sham and it's it basically paints him as as a hero uh, in this biopic and i just don't think that the character deserves to be painted in that way jackman's performance in itself is good but as ozzy said before i was a massive fan of lame is and although his performance is good it's not as good as you'd expect it to be and i think the reason for that is because the character itself is just so poorly written there's no real depth there's no other character traits apart from this sort of beige likability at no point do i think he's going to really struggle or he's going to be unable to sell anything because he's got this charm to him um and and the thing is 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 it's not just about him as well, or you know, the majority of the film is about him, but it's, it's a, it should, should be a real character piece. But the fact is, all the characters are really poorly written. You've got Charity, his wife. It's just a complete waste of Michelle Williams. She is one of my favorite actresses working at the moment, and she is just resorts to this worrying wife who just exists basically to talk to Barnum. Even when she is for, uh, faced with a supposed adulterous husband, she rarely ex- emotes any sort of real emotion, and she moves on from struggles with far far too much ease and uh, talking about the uh, main other female character that's in it it's jerry lind um sorry jenny she's a very very bland character and what really annoyed me about it is it's a really tired female stereotype i know i go on about um, gender representation in films but this is something that i hate you know sort of uh, these old tired tropes being uh, used time and time again of sort of woman scorned and um, because she hopelessly falls in love with barnum and if she can't have him no one can and the thing is is that once again it was 
it was unnecessary because in real life, Jenny Lind actually hated P.T. Barnum and she did cancel the tour, but that was due to exhaustion. It was nothing to do with some sort of affair with P.T. Barnum. So once again, they've written this into the film to create drama and it was just unnecessary, really. Then I mentioned, alluded to before, you had Philip Carlyle and Annie Wheeler, um, very, very bland characters. You've got um, Zac Efron and, and Zendaya's fault. Is it Zendaya, is it? Zendaya. 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 I saw a YouTube video just yesterday where she was uh, moaning that people pronounce it wrong. Oh, no, but I'm really, Zendaya. really sorry, Zendaya. Um, and the thing is, it's not their fault. You know, they they don't give bad performances. Really, it's just they've got very little to work with. And the thing is, is it was a hundred percent made up. There was instead of covering the actual um, real life events of, of this guy and his show, and maybe some of the racism that was actually rife within his productions, they have this fabricated relationship to make Barnum seem more of a tolerant figure than he actually was. And the fact is, is that they just touch upon this as well you know they don't go into any real detail about their interracial relationship which would have been a massive deal at the time then i just want to finish off quickly by talking about the performers for me the film should have been about them but it wasn't i mean there was only the bearded lady and tom thumb who were given any real dialogue and even then it's mostly um with scenes involving barnum and there's there's no struggle there's no emotions there for them well there's a bit but there's the scenes where we show barnum living the life of luxury taking his children out to like the, the theater and having this mansion and all the times we see the performers they're just like kind of in the back of a circus tent you know with mud on the floor and you know it's not shown it's kind of the, the, there isn't any sort of juxtaposition between those two um sort of characters uh, you know instead of focusing on the hardship and the struggles that they faced instead to concentrate on barnum's life once again creating a disconnect <coughs> sorry that is morally questionable and instead of focusing on the diverse community we focus on a man who's exploiting them and it's just i watched it with with my girlfriend and she said to me afterwards it was it was i created this massive disconnect it was like watching the elephant man and rooting for mr bites the freak show owner the entire time so uh, yeah just just to say the very poor collection of characters to be honest okay well that's quite a lot to have a uh, fight back against dave and i'm gonna let you go for that right now Thank you very much. So I just want to, I will come to counter some of Gav's points, but I just want to talk about, <laughs> I do want to talk about uh, the film in general and how well it has done. This was essentially my first point before I got on to Gav's. So I just want to say this film is the third highest grossing musical of all time in America. And to date, it's is, is, is exceeded its expected profit, the profit the studio expected to make more than five times over, and that continues to rise. It is still in the movie charts. For some reason, and I'll let you guys work out why, the public have really connected with this film. There is a lot more to it than meets the eye. When it came out, I, I thought when it first came out, I remember thinking this got panned by the critics. This got absolutely torn to shreds. I've actually looked back at some of the old reviews, and you know what? It was actually more 50-50. There's a lot of critics that were firmly in its corner that really did enjoy it and recognized what this film had to offer. There were some that didn't like it, and for reasons that Gav explained, there is this element of, uh, you know, there's artistic license, and then what, what some people believed, and as Gav has said, artistic license gone too far. Um, it depends on your, on your feelings about that, but what people liked about this film was it's kind of it's back to the classic musical sort of formula now they've contemporized it and it's not like a a standard musical it's not nostalgic in that sense it is completely contemporary and of its time and i think that's why people have taken it to heart so much it really has soared through the charts um they, they acknowledge its status as a broad crowd pleaser 
Um, and some critics have called it groundbreaking and innovative. I, I don't believe it's groundbreaking or innovative. I think it's just a very solid musical and a very good musical at that. Um, it had a budget of 84 million. It is now grossed. And remember, this figure is still rising. It is now grossed 434.5 million, as last wow. I believed. It's doing very well. And it had quite a weak opening weekend and quite a weak second weekend as well. People were put off by these critics reviews that they'd read. And, over the course of it, it had, I think, the 11th strongest weekend of any film, I think. It just continued to rise. For some reason, it wasn't clever marketing that got people in to see this film, because it didn't work. It wasn't an immediate overnight success. This grew over time. It was word of mouth. It was people going back for repeat viewings. Those that did go and see it went back. They went to see it again and again and again. Something about this musical connected with people. Now, I want to ad- uh, address some of Gauss' points there, because he made some good ones. He- he's right. There is uh, a complete use of artistic license in this they've completely um they've not whitewashed it but they've omitted at certain points of pt barnum's life now gav said he's he talks about um the fact that pt barnum bought a woman he did and that's inexcusable um like gav said it was legal at the time i want to make it quite clear that pt barnum is not on trial here the greatest showman is a film loosely based upon his life loosely based no one claims this to be a, a biopic at any point this is a musical this is family entertainment it was given a pg certificate this was a musical made for families to go see there are certain things you just can't show and i do think this is a a justifiable subject for a musical it's not the first time that a musical has been made about pt barnum the stage show barnum which i think premiered back in the 80s with michael crawford on the west end was a huge success and i think it it carries on now i mean i've seen barnum on stage i saw a brian Connolly do it it was really good um and there are just certain aspects of it you just don't want to display to families you know he he wasn't a completely bad man you know it's, it's, it's an historical figure we're judging a man that was born over 200 years ago by today's standards i don't think that is wholly fair although i do admit some of the things he did were sinister but he's an historical figure they're neither black nor white they're kind of gray and you know although gav said about the racist element i do want to point out although i'm not defending pt barnum at any point that in his later life he expressed regret for the things he did early on in his career and he became a politician and actually he was a democrat who had to leave the democratic party because they tried to pass a legislature that would have blocked the emancipation proclamation of lincoln's and he was dead set against it i believe he said something to the effect of i did i did make a note of this just in case it came up um a human soul that god created and christ died for is not to be trifled with essentially shooting down the democrats and saying you know no matter what color your your skin is you deserve to have freedom you deserve to have rights and he expressed great regret for what he'd done you know i'm not excusing what he did earlier in his life but he tried to make amends for it later on i think He's already made his money, so he was happy, wasn't he? Well, no, you can t- actually, he went bankrupt <laughs> quite a couple of times. And Gav was talking about um, how his, his attractions never made any money. The, one of the people who bailed him out in, in the film, it's Zac Efron who bails him out after the fire. After one misadventure where he was almost bankrupted, it was General Tom Thumb, who had not only made enough money from working with Barnum that he could bail out his previous employer, um, he was also willing to do so, which I think is interesting. He actually liked him enough 
to want to bail him out. Um, and, you know, through P.T. Barnum, you know, unfortunately, Tom Thumb is another one that was just passed off to him at the age of four by his family who wanted nothing to do with him. And he did have a life of sorts and he did make a good living. I don't excuse Barnum. You know, this is a very old school industry that he was a part of. Like I say, he was born over 200 years ago. This was a different time. I make no excuses for it, but just bear in mind it was different. But that's Barnum the man. This is The Greatest Showman, the musical. And it is justifiable why this uh, this subject, the, the founding of circuses, essentially, the founding of family entertainment, it is a a justifiable subject for a musical, I believe. It's been done before, it will be done again. And I think if you were to see the omissions, you know, good or bad, there were there were good aspects of Barnum's character that were omitted. You know, he was actually a teetotaler. He drinks heavily in this film. You know, there's one point they go into a bar and it's like, I thought I might find you here. And Barnum himself was a member of the temperance movement. I think audiences might find that more endearing. He suffered family tragedy. He lost uh, two of his children at one point. And if you're truly trying to make the guy seem like a saint, you bring up these uh, more sympathetic aspects of his nature, but they were omitted as well because it didn't suit the story. And that's no bad thing. Okay. Okay. Well, these are good things to think about both sides. They're pretty good arguments. Uh, I'm going to go speak to my dear character witness. And uh, Alex, there's a little question for you is, did the film connect with you? Um, No, it, it didn't, but I would say that I'm maybe not, the audience that this film is going for. So I, I didn't expect to be either, yeah. to be honest. So Okay, well then with, with that in mind, yeah. so the fact that you're probably not the target audience, uh, didn't really connect with you, did you feel like it missed these extra points to his character that... Um, I, you know, things that were missed. Did you know anything about him beforehand? Did you, and did you mind? You see, I, you know, I'm going with Dave a bit on the, let's, let's put The Greatest Showman on trial. I didn't know a lot about P.T. Barnum beforehand, yeah. but I actually have a bit of problems with the way P, the P.T. Barnum character was portrayed in the film, not knowing anything about him. I, I actually think the film sort of set up a few things that I thought were going to be explored about his character, and then they didn't, because I don't really feel like they had the the guts to a little bit. Like I think the way the characters, the performers are set up, it's kind of obvious in the way that he's recruiting these performers, you know, with the lady with the beard, the tall man or something. It's kind of clear that he's using it only as a means to an end. He's, he's doing it to kind of exploit them, yeah. to get money. You know, he, he wants... That, he's, he's very man. poor man. He wants to provide for his family. And so he recruits these, you know, it's not as bad as I'm making out, but, it, you know, he, he recruits them to make money. So he's, in effect, exploiting their you know, talents talent and, you know, making money out of it, basically. And I think if you set up that, then you need some sort of comeuppance or you need some sort of, that needs, that arc needs to, its end needs to be where that is kind of, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You know, that was wrong. That doesn't really happen. I feel like they let that slide. So I actually feel just within the film, not P.T. Bonham himself, I feel they give his character quite an easy ride. And I think that's, a lot, through a lot of the film is the same sort of thing like you know there's this interracial love story but it's never quite landed because they don't really have i would say the guts but maybe that's just me they, they don't quite go for it and instead the only line in this interracial love story is uh zach efron meets the parent his parents and he says they say well you shouldn't see the help and it's almost like, well, what is it a money thing? Or is it, are we not going for the race thing here? Like, whoa, you know, what's the actual thing we're going for? They, they set up these things with these performers and they don't really go for it. In fact, these performers are set up quite well, I think, at the beginning. And you're like, oh, these are interesting. But actually, they're just re- reduced to complete bit parts throughout the entire film. They're not really given any any real dialogue, like Gav says. And they're not proper characters, I don't think. And, yeah, and like okay. Gav was saying, they're not really well written. I will just say, just sorry, just quick no, thing. Okay, yeah, this film is superbly popular, Dave is right on that like i i I work in schools and i work in different schools and kids just love this film they are singing it 
from the day, the yeah. moment you walk in to the moment you go. It, it, it's very incredibly popular. Okay, and uh, very very quickly for for you, Joel. Um, I'm going to guess that you are also not the uh, the prime target audience for this film. However, you have seen it, and I'd like to say that regardless of this film or any film, do you mind when a film sort of rewrites the truth in order to tell a narrative? Do you think that's a real problem? And do you think um, sense I think it, it, it very much depends on the film and the subject matter. I think if you are making, you know, not to kind of, well, this is probably a bad example, but if you were making a film about like the Holocaust, say you wouldn't want to bend the truth there and, you know, make it, make it up just for Hollywood type of thing. Uh, but uh, I don't see a massive issue with this. And to be honest, what Dave said is absolutely true, and what Alex said is absolutely true. Like it, it's got such a massive following. Like I, I didn't want to watch it, but Jen, uh, my partner, came home one day and she said, "Everybody has told me we've got to watch this film." So we watched it, and I was entertained for the whole time it was on. Um, and yeah, some of the stuff which everybody says is true, but you know, at the end of the day, if you enjoy the film, you can you can overlook some of that stuff. I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much. That's. Uh... I tip back, uh, Dave. I'm going to let you go first this time because I feel like you were on a bit of the uh, bit of the back foot there. Gav was straight in, all guns blaring. So um, <laughs> it's your chance to have a go. Thank you very much. I would like to talk about the film soundtrack. I do feel that is if if this we're talking about a strong bow, this is the strongest string on it's the like bow. The elephant in the room. Exactly. The soundtrack is a big deal, um, and it is a big deal. It's not like you know we've talked about soundtrack on other films before now. This is the first musical we've done before. The soundtrack matters. This is a big deal. This is a linchpin of a musical, which is what this is, lest we forget. And the soundtrack being what it is, is what's made it the success. The soundtrack has gone platinum in Australia, New Zealand, and the United States. It's gone three times platinum in the UK. It has gone gold in Japan, gold in Canada. It's topped the iTunes charts in 77 countries. It's the best-selling album of the year so far. It's still, at, as we speak at this moment in time, I checked the charts before we did this, it's still at number three in the UK album chart. It's still at number seven in the US. It is still flying high. It spent more than 20 weeks at number one in the UK and has become the most successful soundtrack album since The Sound of Music. Alex is one of Alex's favorite musicals 50 years ago. <laughs> now, Sound of Music was number one in the album chart for two years. I don't think Greta Showman was going to beat that. But still, biggest musical soundtrack in 50 years I think says it all. And I want to counter some of Gav's, uh, what some of Gav's earlier points. Uh, I was going to say in song there. I'm not going to counter them. Please. Tempting. You will get a bonus point if you do. Um, yeah, I think we'll lose uh, listeners if I do that. <laughs> I think the songs, like I say, they are the linchpin of this. They are what has made it so popular. Alex says, you know, kids love this film. Adults love this film as well. You know, there's a, there's a number of shows. When you think this film only came out less than a year ago, it was late 2017 this came out and there's already shows springing up in theatres you know amateur productions of it amateur productions just doing the soundtrack sing-alongs theatres are hosting sing-alongs now this is a big deal this has gone big families love this and i would say this wouldn't be a family film if we went into some of the darker aspects of of the real barnum's life which gav said you know you would have denied all these people this great family film had you gone into that that's a subject for another film that's a subject for another biopic a straight-laced biopic of P.T. Barnum. That's when you tackle it. In a musical, musicals, you're going for a family audience. That's the time to do it. And the, so that's not the time to do it. This yeah, is a time is... to go looser with the, with the facts, unfortunately. But, you know, Gav was saying about the characters. He said Michelle Williams uh, plays a very bland charity, Hallett Barnum. I disagree. And her song, Tightrope, which is her moment to shine, is fantastic. She plays that brilliantly, and she sings it beautifully. That is a fantastic track. And it's actually one of the most overlooked on the album. 
I think uh, the performance between uh, Anne and Philip and their their relationship, you know, can they, can't they, should they, uh, that is covered brilliantly in Rewrite the Stars, which is a fantastic track. That was released as a single and actually did very well in the charts. Um, And I think, you know, it's performed brilliantly, done with a lot of stunt doubles because it's a lot of, her being a trapeze artist, the whole uh, scening of the thing, is a lot of stunt doubles going on there, but you've got to admire how it is shot. Uh, the director of this um, was Michael Gracie, who this is his first feature film. He's never done this before. He really did like music videos before now. And I think his craft that he honed while doing those is plain to see in the musical numbers. Um, I, there's no, uh, Gav said there's no emotion from the performers. The standout track on the whole album is This Is Me. It was Oscar nominated and it should have won. You know, the, the Coco song was all well and good. It was, it was pleasant. But if you see the performance that, um, Keila Settle gave at the Oscars it will send chills down your spine she's Broadway trained she was fantastic not to say that her performance in the film is bad it just live is where this lady shines she was fantastic in this and the emotion that she gives on screen and when performing it live is fantastic it just oozes through the screen it's just raw emotion and it this song has become kind of an anthem for people one of the reasons why it's connected so well with a contemporary audience is the fact that this song has spoken to so many people you know this is me is about acceptance it's about you know I won't be body shamed i won't be made fun of for this i you know i am who i am and i'm proud to stand up there and say it you know no matter how many times i'm knocked down and all the performers get involved in this song big ensemble piece brilliantly done it goes you know cathartic emotion coming through the screen straight at you you'd be mad not to feel something okay well that's a very passionate defense there so uh gav dave says that you have to remember that this is not a bio a biopic what he meant to say was, this is not a biopic. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you did say biopic. I did, I did. To be honest with you, when I was rehearsing my argument, I kept saying biopic. I was like, I have to make sure it I don't was. do that. <laughs> it, it, it makes sense, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously though, so... Um, musical this this is a you know this is a musical the soundtrack is the main point yeah i mean i would like to say to dave i remind him that it isn't the soundtrack that we're putting on trial here it's the actual film and the the what this is to me i mean this we, we spoke about late miss before that felt like a great musical what this feels like is a great soundtrack that they've put bits of scenes in between songs you mentioned before about the live performance of the oscars i thought that was fantastic and one of my main problems about this is that i do not think that the emotional that um i don't think it like resonated emotionally in the film i think the emotions that were on display in the songs were definitely not there on display in the film and i think that is because of the director i think it's his first time job i think it's going to be a tough ask of anybody he's got no real experience of directing a major motion picture before and you could really tell i just want to go into a bit more detail about the film i'll come back to the soundtrack just before i cap it off and um, but i just think it's it's quite apt that this is a musical about pt barnum and his american museum because the entire thing is just a delusional and fabricated smoke and mirror sham to be honest i mean you said that it, it's not a biopic but it, essentially it is it should have been about the theater it should have been about the forming of the circus it should have focused on those characters but it didn't it kept on getting dragged back to pt barnum and his life and his wife and his struggles and it was just like i don't want to know about pt barnum i don't want you to paint him as this heroic figure when he clearly isn't i want to know more about the 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 circus i want to know more about the performers but we just didn't get that at all it should have been about acceptance inclusivity diversity and why all of those things are important but instead it chose to focus solely on barnum 
And I just thought it was, it's incredible because that shouldn't have been the case. They had a great kind of groundwork there. They just completely uh, avoided. I mean, we, we mentioned before about it being historically inaccurate. Um, that, that opening scene for me, it starts off with Barnum's childhood, which was apparently very different to how the film portrayed it. Uh, but although Barnum did lose his, his dad when he was 15, he wasn't actually orphaned until he was 58. Uh, and it was his family that were more well-to-do than charities. She was the one who was the, who was the tailoress. His family were the one who was disproving i mean i can understand taking liberties to be to create a better story but this was just rife throughout the entire thing that opening scene that i talked about before it deals with some like incredibly major events in this guy's life that could have held real emotional weight but instead they were crammed into the first song so we cover about 20 years of this man's life in about five minutes it felt incredibly rushed and once again as i was saying to see Jackman perform that live, which I have done, I've seen the rehearsal footage, it is a very emotional song, but to watch it in the film, it was just like, oh shit, okay, he's 17 now, like 30 seconds later he's actually 25, 30 seconds later he's 30, you know, it just felt so rushed that you couldn't actually grasp any of the, the emotions that were trying to be forced through by this by this song and that's a recurring theme throughout a disconnect between the songs and what we're seeing at no point did one of the songs advance the story or build up any of the characters at all they just felt like they were wedged in there all of the sounds as well i'm sorry guys and and, i know you know it's it's a good soundtrack but to me they just sounded overproduced and a bit formulaic um, and one thing that really annoyed me is they sound like they're all being sung off screen so I think the, the sound of a great musical is you can be captured by that performance there and then and you think that the, the character is singing it to you on screen but this all sounded like it was being bellowed off a CD player off screen and they were just miming to it which once again pulls me away from what I'm seeing. Uh, I, I personally don't like the mixture of mid 19th century circus and 21st century generic pop I don't think it worked well together and I think it instead distanced uh, the story even more so. The story itself is just a, an absolute mess. It flits from Barnum, his enterprising, his family life, his business legitimacy, creating a community. It just go, go, keeps on going back and back and forth. And it just never lands on any of those topics. It just slightly brushes each one of them without going into any detail. There's, as I mentioned earlier, the interracial relationship. It, it's one that it just felt like it's thrown in there to create more drama, especially considering that neither of those characters actually existed in real life. But it's a side plot at best. And it is isn't given the attention that it deserved. I mean, this would have been an earth-shattering subject back in the time that the film is set, but it's just used as a sort of kind of off side plot, just kind of been thrown there to put some more dramatic, uh, dramatic tension in. Then there's uh, then any similarity to uh, any other major pop plot points you've got. Jenny Lynn there, who um, the town not accepting the circus, the racial tensions, the lack of acceptance of the performers. There's, these, these are all subjects that are just glanced upon, but there's no real resolution to them at all. This, as I said before, is the first time directing job for Michael Gracie, whose other projects have all just been music videos, essentially. And you can tell the film feels incredibly overproduced. It's just so much glitz and glamour. Uh, Everything is just like CGI. Everything's just in your face. One of the things I love about musicals, and I think it's, it's a characteristic of a really good musical, is a long pan shot out of all of the cast in 
complete sync, well choreographed. You can see that they've put the time, they've put the effort in, and it looks amazing. With this, it was just completely over-choreographed. There was too much CGI in it. There was too much going on, too many camera angle changes, too many people on the screen, like lions jumping through hoops, all this, all that going on. That you can't really concentrate. So it could have been anybody up there doing those dance moves. It could have taken six days to film one scene, and we wouldn't know. And to, for me, once again, that just created a, a, a separation. And the whole film just felt like an incredibly overly produced shampoo commercial to be honest it was just so glitzy and glamoury uh, it's about overall just a poor script poor direction and considering it's supposed to be a musical as well the thing that annoyed me the most is it just wasn't fun and Dave mentioned it about it being really popular and really earning a lot of money as well but we've spoken about the Suicide Squad before we've spoken about two Pirates of the Caribbean films and two Transformers films being in the top 30 highest grossing films of all time we've also spoken about films that have got a great soundtrack but actually shit like Southland Tales might I remind anybody Saturday Night Fever Don't remind me <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so sorry tirade over wow just lambasted six of my favourite films <laughs> Transformers 1, 2, 3, 4 <laughs> no seriously though um, some very good points from both sides and I think that, I don't know whether Dave do you have anything do you want to come back on anything there or are you okay for me to go to a character witness um, I'll just I'll do it briefly because I know we're pushed for time I'll just say that what Gav was saying about it having a strong uh, not having a strong message of acceptance and in- inclusivity I beg to differ that is exactly what the film has that is exactly why they've altered history to suit their plot and make it family orientated it has that message of acceptance and inclusivity and the emotion through the songs is raw and it is fun I challenge anyone to watch this film and not say it's fun you will be entertained okie dokie Alex, I didn't find. Is it this fun. film fun? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't find it very fun. Uh, no, I, 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 yeah. It, it, again, like I say, it wasn't for me. I don't think I wasn't the target audience, and I know that lots of people do. Like, I think people find it hugely popular. The soundtrack's huge, and you know the, the songs itself and the choreogra- choreography in it, especially. I think the trapeze bit when they go you know, Zac Efron yep. and Zendaya, Zendaya, Zendaya are going around each other. That's really well done. And those little bits are some moments when I sort of my interest perked up. To be honest, though, I agree a lot with Gav when he says it's kind of patchwork and the actual story, it doesn't gel. Those set pieces don't gel and the songs aren't as powerful as they should have been. In fact, I didn't find them very powerful at all because the story didn't match up and the story doesn't add up. It doesn't make much sense to me, the story. And the main thing is I wasn't shocked that a lot of what, a lot of what happened wasn't true because i didn't believe the story i think you can this is for me it's based on pt barnum so for me i do think it's a biopic but i actually it's not true enough even as a film itself i didn't believe it and that made the songs which were really good songs and really good set pieces and really good choreography uh it didn't quite they, they didn't land as much for me yeah okay and joel You've already mentioned previously that you, you were entertained, so would you say fun, not fun? Um, yeah, I'd say fun. There's definite issues with it, but I don't think you can really deny, you know, if a film's popular, it's popular for a reason at the end of the day. Um, you know, the amount of money that it takes is obviously not the most important thing to us as viewers. Um, but, Suicide Squad's Joel. Uh, well, when you said that, all I thought of was Suicide Squad, the musical. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's make it. All right, well, thank you very much. All right, let's wrap this up with some closing arguments, gents. Um, I'm going to let Dave go first, if that's okay. By you means. I've yep. got... One minute. One minute. Go. 
Thank you very much. This film is great fun, and like I said, it has that message of acceptance and inclusivity. The film is undemanding. It is still simplistic. The plot, I mean, people say the story's not there, the story's no good. It's there, and it is good. It's simple. This is a family film. It's for kids. It may not be cool. In fact, it sure, it sure as hell is not cool. But it provides an incredible spectacle for the whole family. It is perfectly engineered to suit a contemporary audience. There's even a message of acceptance and courage, which may seem a bit schmaltzy, but I insist this is a family film, and these messages are important to and do have resonance. The plot is highly romanticised and is almost completely fictitious, but it's not a biography. It has ludicrous and contagious enthusiasm, and this will leave you with a feeling of sheer euphoria. Thank you very much. And Gav, Yogo, you have got one minute starting now. I'd say it is a biopic, and it should be nowhere near the hit list. It is incredibly overproduced, poor, weak film with a weak script and weak characters. It's presenting this Barnum as a saint to a young, impressionable audience. It should have really been a heartfelt and genuine story about inclusivity and diversity told through the eyes of the performers, but it ended up being a fabricated, generic love story about a guy we really shouldn't be celebrating. Similarly to the real-life Barnum shows, it uses glitz and glamour to distract us from a poor script and the real crimes of the film and the character. Do not judge this film by the success of its album. Release it as a concept album if you want instead, but just leave this guy alone and this, the, the story is just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I realize, strong, re- strong re- really strong finish. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I realised I couldn't read my hand right there. I was just like, oh, fuck, fuck. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, thanks for that, gents. That was, uh, yeah, that was good. That was a lot, of, uh, lot, of, lot for me to think about. So... Let me fire this over. I believe one of the character witnesses has got a quiz. I do have a ah, quiz while likes... you're deliberating. I do okay, have yeah. it. Yeah, um, uh, right, well, actually, I couldn't come up with a great quiz name, so it's a bit of an in-joke on the podcast because we had this debate a little while ago, and I'm glad it came up this episode. Uh, you know, people haven't been sure whether it's biopic or biopic. I, I think did. we were all sure what it was, apart from you. Oh, I, I did make a slip. It makes sense, but having talked to a, a very large <laughs> amount of people, I have to say... <laughs> It does turn out that it is biopic and not biopic. So, uh, yeah. Fucking hell, you'd have thought that. Biopic or biopic. <laughs> anyway, this quiz is all about uh, inaccurate biopics, basically. And I'd lo- like to just guess, you know, we've these are fairly famous films, so can you guess what was not accurate about this film? I'll give you a little clue so you can, so you can go with it. Anyway, Walk the Line, Johnny Cash biopic with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um it's a pretty good film, but what massive catastrophe that Johnny Cash caused was left out of his life story? No idea. To that wasn't going where I thought it was. I thought you were going to say Hocking Phoenix was about a f- half a foot too short to play Johnny Cash. <laughs> no, 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 no. The film left out a pretty massive part of Johnny Cash's he life. He caused a disaster. Oh, a catastrophe. Yeah. Some yes, sort of he did. Yes, he did. No, no, was no, it? no, 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 no. Was no. it? All right, well, uh, after a fight with his ex, he went on a huge bender and he ended up burning down three mountains worth of forests and he ended up killing 49 out of 53 endangered condors that were on the forest. Um, Afterwards, when he was questioned by this by the judge, uh, Johnny Cash's defence was, I don't care about your damn yellow buzzards. That was that. That was oh Johnny Cash's defence on that. Classic, right. classic Johnny classic Cash. Um, you see why they cash left that back. out. <laughs> <laughs> right. right uh, next one. Theory of Everything uh, was a lovely story about St- uh, Stephen Hawking. 
they said told a love story between um, cheating on his wife uh, between uh, hang on hang on what was left out of their love story Aussie he cheated on his wife then yeah. he was a serial uh, what's it called philanderer uh, philanderer uh, anyone else anyone else he was a serial philanderer yeah yeah no I'm with Aussie on that yeah, it's got to be any. Aussie is true. It turned out that actually uh, Stephen Hawking ended up marrying the nurse that looked after him. Yeah. Uh, and also there were allegations of abuse about Elaine that were, or, that were in the press at the time as well. Not shown in the film at all. Uh, the Iron Lady with Meryl, St- Meryl Streep. What was inaccurate about that film? Um, no, she played no. him as a likable character. When <laughs> everybody knows. Uh, she wasn't Meryl actually Meryl. haunted by the ghost of Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? That she did take milk from children. Is it that she wasn't present at the the one of her colleagues is murdered in a in a bomb under the Houses of Parliament? She wasn't actually present for it. Uh, that might be true, but to be honest, it's all bullshit. The entire, <laughs> <laughs> the entire film is bullshit from start to finish. Gav, Gav, Gav sort of brought that all in with his answer. So although you're probably right, Dave, I'm going to give that to Gav if that's okay. That's fine. That's thank, fine. Thank, thanks, Dave. The, the entire thing's bullshit. Uh, the next thing, number four, uh, this brought you came up a little bit. Uh, Lincoln is uh, famous about you know the Emancipation Proclamation. Does anyone know what else? You know what Lincoln's views. Anyone else got any any facts about what Lincoln thought about that period in time as well? Did he want to legalize the use of marijuana? Uh, again, Dave, <laughs> probably true. But you're clever than it, me. Was it something to do about slaves? <laughs> it was. It was. It turns out that, like a bit like Dave said, uh, Lincoln actually wasn't that. He also said that. Uh, blacks and whites could never live on a social and political equality. Oh, really? So the film massively airbrushed that if you've ever seen it. So he yeah. just was part of it just for the votes. He did it for the war and politically, but actually it wasn't really what he thought and the film never brought it up at all. I know that Daniel Day-Lewis like, lived in a log cabin and he wanted to kind of get back to the days of Lincoln and he was completely in character like he is because he's a method <laughs> actor and he would he would uh, text Sally Field like orders and call her wife or whatever and I just thought like when I read that I was like, you're living in a log cabin but you're still texting her having your cake and eating it there we all know Lincoln was a Skype man (laughs) (laughs) alright penultimate question Gladiator the Emperor Commodus was a bit of a bastard but what horrific act in the film did he not commit that was committed in the film that he did not commit, he actually, historically. didn't bring back Gladiator fight? <laughs> he Again, didn't, Dave, probably true. Um, <laughs> he didn't have any thumbs, so... I want to give it to Gav, but no. He didn't kill someone? He didn't die in the, in the oh, Coliseum. Anyone is, want to build on Joel's answer there? He, did not, he didn't kill his father. He did not kill his dad. Yeah. He did he not did. kill his dad. Oh, uh, that, is that, is, that is untrue. Marcus Aurelius just, I think, died of that. Somebody get on the phone to Nick Cave and tell him to rewrite that script. <laughs> <laughs> or okay. so they think. <laughs> and last question. Uh, Pocahontas tells the love story between Pocahontas and, oh shit, I've forgotten. John, John Smith. Smith. John Smith. John Smith. He made the, uh, what is not shown about, you know, there would have been a bit of an issue in their relationship. She was about what 10. Is, yeah, Dave got it. <laughs> Dave, Dave's got it. Oh, she was 10. <laughs> when, and he was about 30. So uh, not in a Disney film. Yeah. I, there, was, I there, was no love, there was no love relationship there though. She mm. just saved him from being killed. Yeah. That was all it was. There was no romantic aspect to it. Well, no, Disney did not. Way better decide. than my answer. That there was no, uh, there was no place to plug into those little, um, <laughs> those little animals <laughs> fly around the world. What <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, the hell you were going on about that? Oh, Avatar reference, guys. Avatar. <laughs> that is a layered joke. That... <laughs> 
Anyway, thanks very much for that. That You're was welcome. a very good quiz. I enjoyed it thanks immensely. So. Well done. It's one of your better ones. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, listen, I've had a lot, a lot to think about uh, from the from the two arguments there, gents. It was, uh, it was pretty difficult, actually. I thought when we uh, when we opened up that it was going to be sort of a, a fully one way tirade, and um, and that you were going to have a really tough time. But then um, after the first set of arguments, it's pretty even both ways, and I think that the overall popularity, I'm well aware of how popular this film is, and I think that in spite of its uh, failings as a biopic... Hitler was popular. Oh, really? We're going to go... I want to I, I take my... I, I was on Gav's fence there, and I'll, I'm now going to go over to Dave's, if that's quite fine. Uh, and he got in. He was voted in, and I'm voting this one in. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Just like National Socialism, <laughs> the great showman is on the hit list. <laughs> is that the way we're rounding that? Well, one? yeah, pretty much. Great, yeah. good yeah. conclusion. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much, Jesse. Thank you very much. Uh, shall we get some genuine opinions? Captain <laughs> Dave, how did you feel? Um, just trying to collect my thoughts there. Yeah, wow. Well. Um, no, I, I, I'm very grateful for Ozzy's verdict there. I approve. I genuinely do like this film. I, I think it is actually be- better put together than people give it credit for. I know P.T. Barnum was not a nice man, but I understand why they omitted those things about his life out of this. It wasn't that kind of film. One day there will be a film about him accurately made. Now wasn't the time for it. This would have denied too many people what is a great musical, what is great entertainment. And yeah, I, I approve all wholeheartedly. And I know we don't give a damn about P.T. Barnum's approval. The man wasn't nice, mm. but he would have loved this. Auto-tuning, dubbing, CGI. Lots if, of money. If he was here today, he'd be a film producer, and not a very nice one, and he would have, he would have incorporated all of these things. So just a film producer. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> I'm all over this today. I'm very wired. So my uh, gen, uh, genuine opinion is, uh, yeah, I was quite honest, to be honest. Uh, the, the only thing I wasn't honest about was... You're quite honest, to be honest. Uh, yeah, you, you don't pipe up with anything for about, like four minutes and then... <laughs> So he's just, king of the one-liner like, he doesn't exactly. have to <laughs> just bookending this episode with insults to me and uh, so yeah the only thing i wasn't honest about was that i i said that i didn't like the soundtrack i did actually like the soundtrack although i do think that it was overproduced in parts and one of the things i was talking about is i've listened to it back since but i've seen quite a lot of musicals and as soon as i'm coming out of the show i'm singing one of the songs and it's just in my head it's stuck there with the greatest showman i didn't have that uh, but that's not to say that you know the music's rubbish it's just to say that I, I didn't get it but since i've listened go on alex I, I was pretty honest with my character witness but still i just wish they put all that energy into that really good soundtrack that people love and i wish they'd just pick better subject matter yeah and i would have been well up for it then but i, I would have loved it if it just would have been about the performers and and he had pt barnum as a side character like hugh jackman being it and have him there as this this is this figure but he's not the main focus i mean as you said dave they didn't even have any of the performers on the uh, poster did they it was all it was all um, um well no um lottie was was not on the bearded lady who i thought deserved a credit on the poster but mm. zendaya was so. oh yeah yeah but to, to be fair like the whole thing is about you know the, the, this guy exactly. pretty much invented like circus and a lot of show business didn't he which is why that kind of uh, he was the subject matter it was it was spin doctory at its finest you know it yeah. was say what you will about him he was a ruthless businessman but he, he 
self-made millionaire yeah. in those times. Okay, so higher than lower than our previous film on trial, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which was, before you fucking say it, 7.9 out of 10. <laughs> Thank you, Gav. Ooh. I'm, going in. I'm going in higher. And me too. It's very popular right now. I think okay. it'll go lower in time, but right now it's higher. I think lower. I think marginally lower. Not by much, but I think it's lower. Dave's onto it here. 7.7 7 out of 10. Yes. Really, really, I'm and before we draw a close to this episode, uh, it's time for a caption contest. So I've taken a screenshot of the film, which is basically Jackman with his head held high, his arms outstretched, looking up quite proudly as a load of circus shit goes off in the background, including flames and elephants and all sorts. Circus shit. Circus shit. And I've asked our... Uh, <laughs> that's very technical. I've asked our friends and followers to provide a caption where the best caption is going to be judged by our panel here and the winner will will get a nice frog-shaped chocolate treat. Froglity. A froglity chocolatey treat. Okay, so you guys have just got to pick the best. First up, Showman Logan. Nice. Oh, yeah. Apt, apt. Next one, and Moses parted the Red Sea of fire. <laughs> uh, next one, behold this colossal piece of shit spectacle. I agree, but I don't. <laughs> uh, when the crowd suddenly parts and you can reach your airport gate without the constant pause and glare. Mm. <laughs> um, welcome to the fiery pits of hell, evil laugh. <laughs> quite apt. Uh, so tell me, do you want to go, bub? I, I, I imagine that's an X-Men quote. That is, a, that is a bit of an X-Men quote, yeah. Um, how it feels when you finally get to let out that fart you've been holding in. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and that's just a comment that somebody said. Um, they're asking where the Freddo is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's coming. Okay, uh, uh, I'm kind... Oh, sorry, I'm king of the world. Oh, wait, where'd I leave my ship? Um, when that first mouthful of coffee hits your lips on a Monday... Uh, fire <laughs> um, we've got the uh, a musical for people who have never seen a musical <laughs> and also the greatest musical for non-musical fans and also the final one there is don't hold your breath for the chocolate it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's coming alright it's somebody's on it's been trolling way. us because their chocolate hasn't arrived yet it's a you know what the jokes on them because I'm positive they don't listen to the podcast and, and I just eat their chocolate <laughs> <laughs> didn't we try and send it and, and yeah, uh, yeah, Royal yeah. Mail said they didn't send yeah. it because it melted in yeah, the post. Yeah. Ah, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm, I'm holding out until it's cooler. That's my argument anyway. Right. I'm going to go with the fart joke. The fart yeah, joke? Yeah, I'll give it to that. Yeah, it, was, it was crass, but it worked. Yeah, it made me chuckle. Okay, so well done. More good than podcast. You've just won yourselves a delicious Freddo. Okay, so while this film has been going on, we have pulled the next film out of the hat to be put on trial, and it is Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, this is a special one because it's one that Joel put in the hat, uh, which means that his role of defense is already taken. So the rest of the roles have been pulled out of the hat at random. In the role of prosecutor, we've got Alex. In the role of character witnesses, we've got Austin and Captain Dave. And in the role of judge, we've got my good self. And so just before we close things off, it's a message from our good friends, Dare Daniel Podcast. He's the critic. He's the comic. And that's the gimmick. It's the Dare Daniel Podcast, where film critic Daniel Barnes and comedian Cork McDonald do your dirty work by watching the worst movies imaginable. Know of a movie so bad you have to share it? A film with a bad rap you've always been curious about? An underrated bit of cinema you'd love to hear discussed? Or are you a great big fat person? Whatever the case, we happily accept your most sadistic or altruistic dares. Every Tuesday we release a full-length episode of Cinematic Stunt Work, 
And every Thursday, an action-packed mini-episode featuring previews, general movie discussion, and your movie dares, plus beer. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, our website, daredanier.com, and anywhere fine podcasts are burnished and proffered. And make sure to check out our sister pod, Serious Talk Seriously and Graphic Novel Explorers Club, for more quality Sacramento podcasts. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who's listened to this episode and our past episodes. You can catch our future episodes on any podcast platform, especially iTunes, and our website, filmsontrial.co.uk. Why not check us out on Twitter, at Film Trials, where you can suggest a film for us to put in the hat and we will eventually get around to put it on trial. While you're there, check out our friends and collaborators, Austin Ray and Winston Sang, at Aussie Ray and at the underscore quirks. That's our music producer and graphic artists, respectively. Also, while you're checking out social media, why not follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube? In the meantime, we will be in your ears next week with Hacksaw Ridge. Thank you very much, everybody, and goodbye. Uh-huh.